Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome to Truth Pod. Yes, I believe the Bible is the most important book ever known to man. It is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. You can trust it. Its history is reliable its science is accurate. Its prophecies are true. Guess what? This is my 100th episode. Wow. Let the little horn sound, you know, the streamers fly and all that. You know, yeah, I'm just being funny. But I am thankful uh, for all the studies the Lord has helped me put together. Uh, I've never did so many studies on a consistent basis. All praise and glory to him. I think the only thing that, you know, comes near this uh, was when I would teach Sunday school every week. I don't know if uh, listening, if those listening remember Sunday school. In some churches, Sunday school still takes place. A lot of churches, it, it don't. And, that, and I think it's a sad thing because it had such value Fortunately, though, we still have what is called children's church, at least in our church we do. I don't know about other churches. Um, we still have children's church, which is, which is a good thing because I believe that the Word of God needs to be expounded on a level that children can understand it um, and done in a way, you know, that reaches them. Uh, let's let's pray and then we'll get right into our, our study. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us through the power, the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross. Thank you that we don't have to uh, depend on our own righteousness, look to our own selves for salvation, but all we have to do is look to Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your son, for giving us your son. Father, thank you that this is my 100th episode Thank you for that. Um, thank you for those who listen to Truth Pod. I appreciate them. And I pray your blessings be upon them. Bless this study now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I came across this song, and uh, I had never heard it uh, before. And uh, I thought that this song was apropos to the study we are currently in. This song was made popular by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Probably not a familiar name, so you could just look him up. And the song is called, I Find No Fault in Him. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests of the, of the rulers of the people, he said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one who perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and find no fault in this man, touching these things which you accuse him. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And therefore Pilate said to them, Take you, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Yet he was rejected, despised of men, but I find no fault in him. They led Christ to Calvary, but he never said one word. Just the cries of lost sinners was all the Savior heard. And then they pierced him in his side, and then his blood came streaming down. And that's how he purchased my salvation, and I find no fault in him. 
We led Christ to Calvary, yet he never said one word. Just the cries of lost sinners was all my Savior heard. And then they pierced him in his side, and then his then his blood came streaming down. And that's how he purchased my salvation. I find no fault in him. And that's how he purchased my salvation. I find no fault in him. These songs tell a, a wonderful story of a Savior's love. You know, it, it, it should be something that just draws us, uh, melts our hearts, uh, fills our eyes with tears when we hear these songs because they talk about him in such a, a real passionate way that we can relate to, that we can connect with, you know, and uh, it, it they're meant to turn our heart toward him. And hopefully, hopefully, when you hear these songs read, that's what they do, you know, as they turn your heart uh, toward the Savior. Let's read some scripture. Luke 23, verses 6 through 12 says this from the English Standard Version. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jur jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Do you know anyone who is reluctant to make critical decisions? You know, this person you're, you're talking to and all of a sudden, you know, you want, you ask them, hey, where would you like to go to eat? Uh, I don't know. You decide. You know, or what movie would would you like to see? Oh, I don't know. You decide. You know, this kind of person. Where would you like to go today? I don't know. You decide. They they can't seem to nail down uh, a certain direction, uh, a focus. You know, and uh, this is my impression of Pilate. I you know after encountering Jesus in last week's study. He says he finds no fault in him, you know, so the Sanhedrin turns up the heat. And Pilate looks for a way out. You know, things are getting hot for Pilate because he has to do something. Something has to be done with Jesus. Remember that. Something has to be done with Jesus. Okay, so the Sanhedrin turn up the heat. They put pressure on him. You know, we see that today in politics. Uh, the president starts going in one certain direction, and the opposition party turns up the heat on him, which makes him sometimes, you know, back off. Um, and he starts going in a different direction than his own party, you know, is in, and then they turn up the heat, and that makes him back off. 
you know, so we we can kind of relate to this. We see this going on in politics all the time with governors or with pastors, you know. And so here's Pilate, who has the greatest man in history, the greatest human being in history, standing before him. And when I say human being, it's because Jesus was fully man and fully God. He was completely human, completely totally human, and completely, totally God at the same time. Hard for our little minds to comprehend. So if you have a problem comprehending it, don't feel bad. We all really do. I mean, because it's just, it's beyond our imagination. He was God-man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Pilate has a tough time making a decision, so he gets an idea. You know, he, um, he finds out that this guy that he's dealing with, Jesus, is uh, from Galilee. Galilee. He's a Galilean. A um, little bit about the Galilee. The Galilee is a fertile, mountainous region in northern Israel. It's known for the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked on water. The city of Tiberias has the tomb of uh, the Jewish sage uh, Mamanides, or I'm sorry, I messed that name up, forgive me, and the Church of St. Peter, with art depicting the four Gospels. Mount Arbel has ancient cave fortifications. The Mountain of Beatitudes is where Jesus preached a sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about Galilee. Where was Jesus born, or from? Bethlehem, Nazareth, Galilee. Yes, in this life, right? In this life. I mean, he was born in Bethlehem. He had, uh, he had lived in Nazareth. He, he was taken to Nazareth as a boy. He, he, most of his ministry uh, was in Galilee. So in this life, all right? But Pilate, you know, was talking with someone who was from eternity. I mean, he didn't know it. Pilate had no idea. He just thought... You know, this was some itinerant preacher that uh, the Sanhedrin got upset with, and therefore, you know, they brought him to him. Why do they trouble him with all these little squabbles they have? You know, and um, so he really didn't know that he was dealing with someone, you know, that was unique beyond description. Um, his throne, talking about Jesus, is in heaven, soon to be in the hearts of all believers. Galilee, he was well known here, talking about Jesus. He spent most of his earthly ministry here. Uh, most of his miracles were performed here, uh, with the majority of his disciples being from this area as well. You know, it was their hometown. It was, you know, they... That was where they were. The, the disciples were raised, you know, it was in Galilee. This is the escape that Pilate has been looking for. Pilate was over the Judean jurisdiction, but since Jesus was from Galilee, he knew that was someone else's jurisdiction. Boy, what a break for him. Can you imagine? He thought, I've got a way to get out of this. So he sends him to Herod Antipas. <coughs> okay, so who is Herod? 
I got this from a Dates and Notated Study Bible. This was Herod Antipas, governor of Galilee, who had beheaded John the Baptist. He had come to Jerusalem to keep the Passover. This was Pilate's first attempt to escape responsibility of killing an innocent man. He perhaps thought Herod would punish or release him since he was a Galilean. Note the other three attempts to release him, declaring his innocence each time. Then I got this from uh, Wikipedia concerning Herod and Antipas. Um, he was born before 20 BC, died after 39 AD, was a first century ruler of Galilee and Perea, who bore the title of Tetrarch, Tark, Twark, <laughs> yeah, uh, ruler of a quarter, and is referred to both as Herod the Tetrarch and uh, King Herod in the New Testament, although he never held the title of king. He was son of Herod the Great, and a great and a grandson of Antipater the Adamian. He is widely known today for accounts in the New Testament of his role in the events that led to the executions of John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew 14, 1 through 12. Following the death, still talking about Herod, following the death of his father in 4 BC, Herod Antipas was recognized as, as Tetrarch by Caesar Augustus and subsequently by his own brother, the Entrarch Herod Arculus. Antipas officially ruled Galilee and Perea as a client state of the Roman Empire. He was responsible for building projects at Sephorus and uh, Bethlehem, Martha, and for the construction of his capital, Tiberias, on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, named in the honor of his patron, the Emperor Tiberius. The city later became a center of rabbinic learning after the Jewish Roman Wars in 66 through 135 AD. Antipas divorced his first wife, Facilius, the daughter of King Artus IV of Nabatea, in favor of Herodias, who had formerly been married to his half-brother Herod II. Antipas was Herod's, Herod the Great's son by Malthus, while Herod II was his son by Merimim, the second. According to New Testament Gospels, it was John the Baptist's condemnation of this arrangement that led Antipas to have him arrested. John was subsequently put to death in Macurus. Besides provoking his conflict with John the Baptist, the Tetrarch's divorce added a personal grievance to previous disputes with Artus, or Artus over the territory on the border of Perea and Nevatea. The result was a war that proved disastrous for Antipas. A Roman counter-offensive was ordered by Tiberius, but abandoned upon that emperor's death in 37 AD. In 39 AD, Antipas was accused by his nephew Agrippa I of conspiracy against the Roman emperor Caligula, who sent him into exile in Spain, according to Josephus. Accompanied there by Herodias, he died at an unknown date. Wow, right? <laughs> I got the following from uh, the BE series commentary by Warren Wiersbe. When they mentioned Galilee, Pilate, astute politician that he was, immediately saw an opportunity to get Jesus off his hands. 
He sent him to Herod, Antipas, ruler of Galilee, the man who had murdered John the Baptist, who was anxious to see Jesus. In Luke 9, 7 through 9, perhaps the wily king could find some way to please the Jews. Herod must have been shocked and perhaps nervous when the guards brought Jesus in. But the more he questioned him, the bolder he became. Perhaps Jesus might even entertain the king with a miracle. In spite of the king's persistence interrogate, persistent interrogation and the Jews' vehement accusations, Jesus said nothing. Herod had silenced the voice of God. It was not Herod who was judging Jesus. It was Jesus who was judging Herod. The king finally became so bold as to mock Jesus and permit his soldiers to dress him in an elegant robe, the kind that was worn by Roman candidates for office. Herod did not issue an official verdict about Jesus, Luke 23, 15, but it was clear he did not find him guilty of any crime worthy of death, Luke 23:15. The only thing accomplished by this maneuver was the mending of a broken friendship. Herod was grateful to Pilate for helping him to see Jesus and for honoring him by seeking his counsel. The fact that Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate was issuing a verdict without issuing a verdict could be interpreted as since we are not in Galilee, Pilate, you have the authority to act and I will not interfere. Jesus is your prisoner, not mine. I will I know you will do the right thing. Finally, the fact that the two men met over a common threat or enemy helped them to put aside their difference and become friends again, unquote. They became friends. Pilate and Herod apparently didn't like each other. We have that, right? I mean, we know what that's like. People in politics, you know, uh, they aren't always friends. You have the Democrats, you have the Republicans, you know, and uh, a lot of times they don't agree and they can get pretty nasty, you know, And but here they found a common, um, a common item, person, something in common to bring them together. Stephanie Malk- McAlpine says this, it sticks there like a bird, doesn't it? That verse about how Pilate and Herod became friends because of Jesus. Twelve, it's, In verse 12, it says, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other, brought together through a mutual mockery of Jesus. Luke records it almost as an afterthought. But it has such a ring of authenticity. You can imagine Pilate and Herod sharing a goblet of wine some six months later, reminiscing about old times. Hey, remember that crazy Messiah guy we had crucified a while back? Yeah. What was his name? Joseph? No, wait. James? Wasn't it Jesus? That's right. Jesus. Remember how I sent him to you and you sent him straight back and I, I'd have killed to see the look on your face. You did kill, remember? You killed him. 
Boom. Hey, I even got some of the battalion to pose for selfies with him, all dressed up in those fancy clothes you sent him back to me in. Hehe, <laughs> yeah, those have been circulating around my garrison, too. Hey, whatever happened to that robe? That was one of my favorites. I'll fish it out. Have it dry clean. The wife and I will bring it around next time we're in Jerusalem. Nice. Come for dinner. Herodias can organize some light entertainment. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Say no more. Done. Anyway, I hear some of the followers are still going on about him. Might drag a few of them in and have them killed someday. Good old. Let me know if you do. I'll pop in for a laugh. Here, have some of these figs. They're the best in the region. Don't mind if I do. Cheers. What a conversation, right? Imagine that taking place. Okay, so it's fanciful. But it reminds me that community is not the end goal of the gospel, but a byproduct of it. If church, the ecclesia, means gathering, then people can hate Jesus and love Jesus. Friendships and communities can be sustained by the most toxic of commonalities. And another thing, I'm pretty sure the friendship spawned by the hatred of Jesus in no way reflects the friendship spawned by the worship of Jesus. You know all the love one another as I have loved you. Forgive one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you and bear one another burdens and so fulfill the life of, of the law of Christ. After 40 years of being a Christian, I'm still amazed by the sacrificial love shown by hundreds of Christians toward each other, and not because we're especially good at friendship compared to the Herods and Pilots of our day, but because Jesus is the friend of sinners and can make sinners friends at a level way beyond the superficial. Scratch the surface of a toxic community and sadly all too often, superficial is all that is there. It can't negotiate the tough stuff can't deal with the rivalries that Jesus puts to death through his exemplary death. A love and worship of Jesus drills community all the way down, long after the figs and wine have run out. Unquote. It's not surprising that neither one of these leaders knew what to do with Jesus. They had never encountered anyone like him. They were both used to men begging for their lives, or swearing and threatening them with murder. Not so with Jesus. He spoke very few words and none to get him out of this trial. We are still like that today. There are still people who don't know what to do with Jesus. You can talk to them. You can be like in, in Walmart, and just start up a conversation about Jesus, some will walk away. Some will look at you bewildered. A few will ask questions, you know, but many just don't know what to do with Jesus. It says the Sanhedrin stood by vehemently accusing him. Vehemently, Greek, a eutonus, forcibly, only here in Acts 18.28, when things go wrong in this world and evil leaders kill innocent people or have them killed to satisfy their own lust, it's easy to get discouraged, thinking all hope is lost. But we must remember, 
we don't see the whole picture or how it fits into the plan of God. You know, I, I really, you can't, if you've ever, if you've ever uh, flown in a plane and um, the thing about flying is when you get up there and you look down, you know, on the, on the surface, everything looks different. I mean, when I'm out here in my car and I'm driving, I have a different view. But when I'm in a plane and I'm flying over, I mean, I can see things for miles and miles and miles. I can actually look down the road and see an accident that had just taken place. Whereas that person in that Chevy, you know, back miles away, has no idea that there's an accident that's taken place. You know, and if there was a way I can convey, hey, there's an accident up ahead, you might need to turn right at the next, you know, stop sign, whatever. I mean, that would help that person out a great deal. God has a view that's so unlike ours. Now, he sees our view and he has his view. He can see our view from our perspective, but he sees a greater view and he, and he has a plan that's also involved and he tries to communicate that plan to you and I. So I might see what's going on in this world and view at this time now, the war's going on in Ukraine, okay? And so Putin is being, um, well, Putin, a dictator, uh, a masochist, um, a murderer, whatever adjective you'd like to use, um, I might view that from where I'm at and think, man, it just looks hopeless. But God has a greater view. He sees things, I mean, that I don't see. He sees the secret things. He hears the secret things. He, he knows what's going on. He also knows what's going to be happening next year at this very time. He knows it. I don't. So what he communicates to me is trust. Trust him. Trust him. Trust his plan. And that's what he wants you and I to do. And that's what the Lord did. Uh, Jesus committed everything that he had, okay, into the hands of the Father. Okay, every all of this, all right? He, he prayed in the garden, Father, not my will yours be done. He said, if you uh, want me to drink this cup, you know, he, he said, if, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not what I want, not my will, yours be done. So he trusted the father. That meant, you know, of course they would know what's going to happen, but you and I wouldn't know. That would mean going before Pilate and then before Herod, uh, that would mean being abused, mocked. I don't like to be mocked. How about you? I don't like to be mocked. I had a lot of mocking growing up. I had bright red hair. I hated it. Now I have some wonderful gray hair. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, but I was mocked. I mean, I was made fun of for being a red hair, you know, redhead. And uh, 
you know, I don't like being mocked, and, and I'm sure you don't either. It, it hurts. Uh, it's discouraging. It makes you not like yourself. You know, they mocked him. They they threw a robe on him, a royal robe. You know, oh, if he's a king, well, let's just dress him like a king then, you know. And so they mocked him. And uh, this was Jesus. This was Jesus, the Son of God, being mocked for you and I. Um, now notice, this is not at any one moment throughout this whole thing it is not being done because of anything he has did as far as uh, any sin and any real crime. Uh, none of it, okay? He is innocent, but yet he is allowing uh, this process to take place because he has, he has drank the cup and he's following the Father's will. The Father's plan. He's accepting the Father's plan. And it's hard, okay? It's hard to um, to do for you and I to do this. It was hard. It had to be hard for him. I mean, he's God, okay? So it would be foolish of you and I to think, oh, this was just easy. He was God. It was easy. No. Being fully man, he had the feelings of a man. Those feelings were there. Those emotions were there. Um, so when his, when he was mocked, he felt it. It hurt. It, it stung just like it stings when it's you and I. And um, I'll bet you're glad I'm not reading all that content from all those studies now, right? Because <laughs> really, they get kind of talky. But anyway, like I'm not, right? But anyway, I'm just saying, though, he gets, you know, he feels every single thing that they're doing to him. The sting, the hurt, the abuse, the the pain, the mockery, uh, the laughing, the jeers. The, he's being spat upon, you know, and uh, I mean, all of this stuff, for you and I, for you and I. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Let me uh, continue reading. It says, um, Acts 20, or Acts 2, 23, it says, this Jesus, and I believe it's Peter speaking, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So it was God's plan and the foreknowledge of God. God knew it all was going to take place. He said it all. It, it all, was all set into motion by the providence of God. And, it, and uh, Peter says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So Peter was saying that it was a definite plan. God had already set it into motion. And God already knew it was going to take place. It's going to happen. We can't even determine if a disaster happens, such as a hurricane or a tornado or, a, or even a pandemic, if it's a judgment for God, from God. You know, you and I, we can't, we can't even determine it. Uh, if you talk to somebody about the pandemic, about the COVID, 
Is that a judgment of God? You would have a bunch of different answers. We can't determine it. Uh, tornado strikes, kills multiple people, you know, and we can't, we don't know if it was a judgment of God or just happenstance. Now, I'm not saying the pandemic is God's judgment. I'm not. Uh, or hurricanes or tornadoes. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't have a clue about those things. And I'm sure, you know, many don't either. And, and some who claim they do, they don't. Um, but the thing here is that God had this definite plan set up that Jesus would endure such things at the hands of sinful men. A scripture that I, I really don't know the verse to comes to mind. They hated me without a cause. Hmm. I'll leave you with that. There's more to come next week as we continue on the road to Golgotha. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.